When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and comprehensive planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But the solid advice comes from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that. Certainly hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Another fine show lined up for us today, Brian. The theme of today's show is going to be how to build a portfolio for retirement while combating inflation. Inflation, of course, still out of control. I read just recently 9.1%. We'll talk about that. I think that that may be just a little underreported. We're also going to be talking about principles of a portfolio on today's show, along with what causes inflation and what should a portfolio look like right now and planning your wealth so that the odds are in your favor. But Brian, let's start with what a retirement portfolio looks like. Really, it occurs to me that there are two types of portfolios to consider. There's the financial side of it, but then there's also the lifestyle side of it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of overfocus on the investments themselves. Um, you know, which, which stock you own or which mutual fund you own, that kind of thing. It seems to me that really the big question is what kind of lifestyle do you want to have? I recently returned from a trip. I'm a coach to a financial advisor and had a couple speaking slots. And, and the way I was trying to encourage them to spend more time getting to know what the kind of life that their clients want to have when delivering financial planning, I talked to them about their own business. I said, you know, you guys come here, you get some ideas on how to maybe get more clients or do different things. I call it the shiny objects. So they chase all the shiny objects and they keep chasing, chasing, chasing. I said, most of you end up not even having a business. You just have a job. You're just chasing the next little opportunity to make a few bucks, whatever. And you're not getting to where you want to be. You're just kind of going wherever it leads you. So a better way to do your life, in my opinion, would be to project yourself forward five, 10 years and say, if I had it my way, what would it look like? What would my life look like 10 years from now in, in the business world? I was talking to them about their business. What kind of business would you have? How many hours would you be working? What kind of clients would you be dealing with? Uh, what kind of staffing would you have? What are you even offering? What does that look like? Now, once you've figured that out, now work backwards so that you can get to that goal. If you don't have that in mind, you're just going to end up going the wrong direction. And so the same thing is, is true with financial plans. I, you know, I told them, look at when you do a financial plan for someone, you don't just go, okay, what are we going to invest in this month? Because I think the market's going to go up or, or down, or, or I think the price of soybean futures is going to go up or down. You know, you can do that, spend your, your energies there, but I think it makes a lot more sense to figure out what would be my ideal lifestyle, taking into account how much security and risk I want or cash flow or legacy assets and all the different things, how much travel I want to do, where I want to live, how I want to live, 
how I want to spend my time. Why don't we figure that out? And then we can work backwards and say, okay, what kind of investments in, in financial planning can we do to make that happen? So if I'm hearing you correctly, Brian, you were talking about business there, but you're saying project five, 10 years into the future and picture yourself. Maybe you want to travel a bit. Maybe you want to play golf. Maybe you've got some other hobbies. Try to put a number on that, then reverse engineer your retirement plan in order to meet those financial goals. Is that about right? Well, it goes way beyond just a number because that's where our focus has always been. And there's tiers to that. Let's say I'm talking to somebody who's going to retire and they're 65. I've got my tenure. Okay, that's great. But the other, you know, 20 years or whatever after that, that we, we might have to plan for is a different kind of plan. So there's two different kinds of plans there. So a lot of it has to do with, again, not just chasing returns, which is, you know, silly because if, if you buy what went up in the past, you're probably going to, you know, every study shows that it's going to do worse than the average if you buy what's been hot. So that's no way to invest. And so we, we have all these different, you know, we talk about on the show all the time, all the tools in the toolbox, and they all do different things. Every investment has pros and cons. Some are good at growth, some are good at security, cash flow, liquidity, tax savings. Most investments have at least two of those attributes. Some may have three. And putting these together and knowing that you have the different ones, because what hasn't worked, and we were talking about an inflationary environment, what hasn't worked is the typical 60-40 stock bond split that most financial advisors in the country use for their clients. They have the two tools, the stock market and the bond market. Well, we have had a really rough start to uh, 2022 in the stock market. So, you know, I'm sure these investors thought, well, I'm sure my bonds will do good when the stock market's doing poorly. No, bonds are not correlated to the stock market up or down. They can go either way, and they happen to go down because we had interest rate increases. Interest rate increases hurt the price of your bond portfolio. So people with that 60-40 stock bond split absolutely were exposed in this environment this year to losses, uh, double-digit losses in most cases in all of their asset uh, investments. And they didn't have the, the proper protection, security, cash flow that you can get with other kinds of investments. Brian, tell me more about those other investments that you talked about. Yeah, another big asset class would be annuities. So we don't talk specifically about annuities a lot on the show. But in this case, uh, a fixed index annuity, my clients that have those, let's just pick the ones that are invested in for accumulation. They're a substitute for a CD, a substitute being that they're similar in that they can't lose money, and they're dissimilar in that they can make a lot more than a CD can pay. And so with the uh, fixed index annuities, my clients that have those, uh, a couple of things have occurred. So the first thing is this year, they're not making any money. They have a floor of zero typically. And when the market is down, they don't make any money. But more importantly, they don't lose any money. Now, what that does, though, it sets you up for a gain in the next year. And sometimes a bad market is the best thing for someone that owns a fixed index annuity, interestingly enough. So let's go back to what happened during COVID. I had some people in fixed index annuities that paid you a percentage of the S&P 500's gain when the gain was up in a year. And you know you took a zero when the losses were there. So when COVID hit, the market took a huge plunge. Remember, it was up you know close to 30,000, and then it dropped to about 18, 19,000, the Dow did. And so if, if your anniversary date was near that time, you locked in at that time. And you said, oh, that's a terrible market. I, I earned nothing this year. But that following year was such a big recovery rebound that if your, if your measurement year started somewhere the market was low, you know, near the 20,000, and then a year later, it was what, 27,000 or whatever it was, you had a remarkable 
remarkable increases in your uh, ability to earn money in a fixed index annuity. So they measure them typically a one-year period. And so that can be, you know, the people that have that in their portfolio, they look at their losses in the market. But with the advent of private non-traded REITs that can do well in an inflationary environment and certainly fixed index annuity and fixed index universal life policies, once you add them into the fold and you start looking at, okay, how much is my portfolio down in this uh, horrible market? Well, that's something I can deal with. And one of the conversations I've been having with my clients, I hope you're annoyed. I've been saying the market is going to drop. It always has to drop at some point. We don't know when or how much. But when that happens, I want you to be annoyed, but I don't want you to be devastated. Are you devastated? And they're like, well, no, I'm not thrilled. Well, good. I I wouldn't be. I'm not thrilled either. I don't like a down market. Nobody does. But we're, we're just annoyed by it. And we know that it's going to recover. Every market drop has recovered historically, period, exclamation point. Every, everyone always has. It's just, you know, how quickly and when that we don't know. And so when you look at it that way and you have uh, taken care of these things and, and had these other asset classes knowing that's going to happen and got away from that 60-40 uh, standard stock bond split, you might be looking at your portfolio and going, wow, I'm sure glad that I thought about this early on before I was on the wrong side of the coin when this year happened. Brian, as you said earlier, we don't have a crystal ball here. We do not know when this market is going to rebound. Are you finding that more of your clients are now more interested in safe money than they ever have been before? I am, because what happens is, you know, we had, uh, we were lulled into a false sense of security with, you know, basically 12 years of a, a bull market, an improving market, 2009, you know, and then we had COVID thrown in, but even that recovered really quickly. So people are just used to putting money in the markets and it goes up. And that was pretty much all they knew for over a decade. Well, then this happened and people are reassessing their risk tolerance going, you know, I was fine when the, <laughs> I didn't mind taking a risk when the market was up. I don't like taking risk when it's down, well, then you're probably too, you know, you you have too much risk in your portfolio. If you don't see a down market as a buying opportunity, you probably have too much risk in your portfolio. So absolutely, I'm I'm not necessarily seeing people sell their stock market because most people think it will recover. But when they get new money, maybe they're rolling a 401k plan over or they inherited some money or they got, you know, they sold something, whatever it is. The new money, uh, more and more that conversation is turned into, how can I protect that and have pretty substantial upside when the market are good, but not take a loss when they're down. Can I just uh, beef that up in my portfolio? I've been taking enough risk my whole life. I'd like to start rolling that back. Maybe I had uh, 60% in the market or 70 or 80 or 100, and maybe I want to get it down to 50. And, and I, I'd like to take a look at adding in the, the safe money, the secure money, the lifetime cash flow money, all these other areas so that I don't have to worry about what the markets are going to do. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about what a retirement portfolio should look like. Primarily, we've talked about the lifestyle portfolio. And Brian, I want to talk about the growth portfolio here in just a couple of minutes. In the meantime, I want to remind our listeners that all of our shows are podcasts as well. Go to wherever you get your podcasts, search Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. You'll see more than 130 episodes of Growing Your Wealth right there. And chances are there is a topic that applies to you. Again, search Brian Evans, Growing Your Wealth, wherever you get your podcast. You know, these big trees around here, they fall when storms hit because they do not have deep enough roots. Well, the same goes 
goes with your financial plan. Your quality of life depends upon how deep your financial roots are today, tomorrow, and for years to come. If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30 plus years, then grab your copy of Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA. Or you can go to madronafinancial.com and request your book there. It's madronafinancial.com. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion about what a retirement portfolio can look like while combating inflation. And Brian, in the last segment, we talked about primarily a lifestyle portfolio where you project maybe 5, 10, 20 years down the road and you figure out what it takes to get to that desired lifestyle. Let's talk about a growth portfolio and how that works in these inflationary times. I read inflation now measured at 9.1%, and I believe that that is under estimated. Yeah, we've been talking about that what for a year and a half maybe mm-hmm. on this show. Yeah. Well before Russian invasions and and all this stuff, a year year and a half that uh, inflation has been underreported and it's not something that the Fed can control. They have said they can control it, they can't. They were going to keep it at 2%. It was transitory. We heard all this stuff and while they were saying that on this show, you can go back to our archives, uh, we were saying, well that's not accurate. The Fed cannot control supply and demand. Inflation's a, a product of supply and demand. Economics 101 there. They don't control either. They can slow down borrowing by increasing interest rates, but that's not controlling supply and demand. And that's that's the reason why they can't control inflation. They can have an effect on it, I suppose, but they, they don't have control over that. And it's been underreported for a very long time. It continues to be underreported, in my opinion, because when you say 9.1%, I'm going, okay, what do I spend money on that hasn't gone up more than 9.1%? I can't think of anything. <laughs> well, let's see here. Um, it's like do, the Jeopardy do, theme song. Do, yeah. Do, do, do. <laughs> I can't come up with it. I can point to a lot of stuff that's up 50% or 70% or 30% or whatever. I, I can't come up. So I'm sitting there going, well, I'm pretty good at math. And if I have a group of numbers that are greater than or equal to 9.1 and they're averaged together, my average is going to be greater than 9.1. Point yeah. one. That's a pretty, that's that's Algebra 101 right there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going, I don't know where they come up with this number because everything, it used to be, I thought, you know, I used to say on the show, maybe they're counting rents. Maybe rents haven't gone up or, you know, and we spend a lot of money on that if, if you rent. But even that's gone way up more than 9.1%. So I don't even know what they're measuring anymore to come up with that figure. So I do think it's a lot worse than what is being reported to us. Well, there's a consumer price index. I've heard about the CPI. I've heard about something I think called the PPI, and that is the cost to produce goods. Maybe that's what they're talking about, but I think the cost to produce these goods are far more than 9.1%. Yeah, maybe it's uh, increasing the labor costs or something is factored in. Uh, there's a, another acronym, uh, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage oh, yeah, out. I've heard so, that one. Uh, I think that has uh, something to do with <laughs> this statistic. As I've said on the show before, my favorite textbook in college, How to Lie with Statistics. So I think that uh, somebody dusted that book 
took off yeah. <laughs> and is, <laughs> is working that right now on us. But regardless, you know, we, we have some issues and a lot of people, you know, they thought, well, I'm in a growth portfolio, I, as I mentioned, a 60-40 stock bond split. So I'm, I'm good to go. And really, when you only use those two tools, I think an interesting thing happened because I want to talk about that bond component for a minute. People have, oh, yeah, I'm 40% in bonds because my advisor said I got to have 40%. Or if you're 60 years old, your advisor said 60% bonds and 40% stocks using the rule of 100, uh, which is typically used by a lot of advisors. And so you've got all this money in your bonds and you go, if you now you're looking at it going, huh, why exactly did I put all that money into bonds or allow that to happen? They sure didn't grow this year because interest rates go up. They lost money. So they sure weren't secure. I thought they were secure. I thought they'd go up if the market went down. I thought they were an offset. They aren't. They were correlated this year. I thought they were supposed to hold their value. They didn't. Uh, I thought they were supposed to give me a good cash flow. They weren't paying much. Huh. So they weren't very good at growth, security, cash flow. Well, at least they're liquid. I could have sold them. I didn't because I wasn't watching that. And nobody told me to get out of bonds unless they listened to our show uh, over this last year. And they're not really tax efficient. So of all the attributes you want from an investment, they sorely miss the mark. And guess what uh, we've been talking about on the show also about what is the biggest asset class in the yeah. world? Bonds. Bonds. Yeah. There's more money invested in bonds than any other asset class in the world. And I think people are looking at it going, well, uh, what kind of case did I make? Why? Why am I so heavy in an asset class I can't make a case for right now? And so I just wanted to you know, put that out there that look at your portfolio. Think about, well, you know, maybe your advisor doesn't have access to all the tools. And when I say tools, uh, investment strategies like private non-traded equity REITs, private non-traded debt REITs, fixed index annuities for accumulation, fixed index annuities for lifetime cash flow, increasing lifetime cash flow, fixed index universal life. There's structured notes. There's a lot of different asset classes out there that one could use to have a, a proper investment portfolio, especially uh, as it relates to an inflationary environment. I'll talk about that in a minute uh, with the equity REITs. But if you're not exposed to all this other stuff, and most people aren't, if you're not already an investor at, at our firm, you probably are not exposed to a lot of these Probably haven't even heard of these. I, I left out Delaware Statutory Trust. Mm -hmm. Huge area of the market. I was talking at the conference in, in Charlotte to all those advisors going, you guys are missing the mark. You're all trying to just push maybe one thing like annuities or whatever. And that's not even as big of an asset class as, as investment real estate. Mm -hmm. And you're ignoring real estate when you're talking to your clients. You should not ignore real estate. You should have 1031 exchange knowledge and Delaware Statutory Trust at your disposal for those clients that have investment real estate and want a solution on how to save on taxes, diversify, get out of the landlord business, all the good things that can come with that. You need, you need to have a working knowledge of that and be able to offer that along with all the other tools I just mentioned. Yeah, and I'm so surprised when I talk to other advisors about DSTs or Delaware Statutory Trust, and they're in markets where that could be very attractive to their clients, and they don't know anything about them. And furthermore, it seems that they don't want to know anything about them. I can't figure that one out. Yeah, being a, a full-service CPA, investment advisory type of firm, that's hard. It's really hard. It's not for everybody. And there's a lot of licensed people that can say, oh, I'm a fiduciary advisor. Oh, what do you do? I sell uh, certain companies' annuities. Mm -hmm. Like, well... Uh, I wouldn't want my parents going to you. I wouldn't want my brother or sister going to you. I wouldn't want my best friend going to you. If that's yeah. You're just going to try and hit them on the head and sell them an annuity. Or the big one that uh, says, I hate annuities, you should too. They just want to hit you on the head and sell you some stocks. Okay, well, 
well, that's not a plan. Okay, that is not even close to a plan. And uh, they're having a tough year probably for their clients. I don't follow them closely, but I'm just guessing that uh, if you don't have all the tools in the toolbox and you don't know how to, to use the tools, it's hard. And that, that's probably why most advisors, you know, they want to keep it simple. They, can, they don't want to have to swim in, in my pool, we'll, we'll put it over the Madrona advisor's pool, because ours is a big pool. It's tough. It's not easy. And, and we've, you know, I've spent uh, decades and decades trying to help build this and put this together to where now we have well over 30 people here that are certainly awesome at, at what they do and, and such a great team. And we can offer all this stuff. And I hear this over and over from my clients. I'm so glad you brought these things up. I've never even heard of. I talked to my friends. They've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. They talk to their advisors. Their advisors mm-hmm. never heard of it. They think we're crazy <laughs> and whatever. You know, they, uh, Delaware sets for a trust. What's that? I you know, like, well, $150 million of what's that? Right, right. Uh, your CPA has probably never heard of them. They, they just, a lot of this stuff is not very well known. Yeah, well, you, you know, they didn't want to learn about DSTs because it would take a little bit of effort. And, you know, they're fine with, with where they are. And I think in that case, they're just interested in themselves more so, I think, than they are for the client's benefit. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about the principles of a portfolio. We've talked about the lifestyle portfolio. And let's talk a little bit more about this growth portfolio. Brian, is a growth portfolio, when you put things in a growth portfolio, is the intent to not touch these things for at least 10 years or or are there exceptions? Yeah, I mean, certainly there's always exceptions, but I think you, you hit it pretty good there. You don't want to touch them. And the drop in the market that we've had doesn't really affect you if you believe a couple things. One is you believe you don't have to pull money out of the part that dropped. And the other one is that you believe it will recover. Okay, if you believe that, then you're fine. Because if you had your portfolio situated where your income, your cash flow was coming out of other areas other than just the stock market, and you don't have to draw down that stock market when it's low, then you're going to be just fine when it recovers. And that I think that's the key to a growth portfolio is that's the component of your portfolio that you want to take more risk with, but you need it to be less liquid because typically liquid investments don't gain a lot in value. That's the point of it. To gain value, you have to be a longer-term investor. And growth portfolios should be looked at with a long-term investment strategy. And that's why when you people that watch the market every day, that's kind of counterproductive. All it does is raise your blood pressure and shorten your life and hurt your sleep patterns, I think. Because if you're not selling, then it doesn't really matter what it does on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, next week, next month. If you're not selling anytime in the near future, then what does it matter? It will bounce around every day for the rest of your life. That's what the stock market mm-hmm. does. But if you believe it will be higher in the future than it is now, then quit watching it every day. I only watch it because my clients do. If it wasn't for my clients, I wouldn't even look at it. Yeah, I'd maybe look at it once in a while, but I know I'm in what I need to be, and I know I'm not touching. I know it's long-term. And so that's the point of a growth portfolio. And you make a very good point there, Brian, is that people get all upset when they see the market has dropped a little bit, but you're really not losing any money. It's just on paper. You're not losing losing any money unless you plan to take that money out of the market in a down market. Other than that, just let it roll. Yeah, you know, I have a couple of clients that freak out, you know, the market dropped. And I understand it. Nobody wants to see their, their market drop. And they might say, gosh, I'm down a hundred grand or whatever. And I say, well, are you truly down a hundred? Well, yeah, because it was X and now it's a hundred thousand less than X. And I said, well, I have here in front of me what you put into your portfolio. Maybe they put in a million dollars and now it's worth a million seven. Okay. But it was a million eight. 
Okay, but you wouldn't have had the eight hundred thousand if you weren't risking. You wouldn't have the seven hundred thousand if you weren't taking the risks that you took. You're still net up seven hundred grand. You see that, right? No, I was. I'm up eight hundred. I lost a hundred. <laughs> you know, it's it's all how you look at it. I look at that going. Well, let's see. I put in a million. It's worth a million seven. I'm up seventy percent. That's pretty good. I like that. Or you know, I'm just throwing numbers out. This isn't an example of an actual client. But the thought process is you got to take the downs with the ups. And what you're hoping is overall you have a win. You don't have to win every battle, but you want to win the war, right? Uh, right. As an analogy goes. And you want to look at what you have into your investments, the time period, what they're worth now. But uh, you can go, you know, I, I think where that conversation would go with that client would be, I think what we have here is a situation where you want to take something off the table. And this is where we might start talking about converting some of the stock and bond or whatever holdings into maybe some of the fixed index annuities to kind of lock in where they're at, even though it's no longer quite as high as it was six months ago. But still, if you're way ahead, you know, some people are are requesting to lock that in. Yeah. And people really forget the fact that we had this long bull market. And as you said, maybe they started with a million. It's a million eight. They get freaked out because it's lost a hundred thousand. But you know, you got to consider just as you said, well, you're up 700,000, but there is more interest these days in safe investments so that you can protect that extra $700,000 that you did make. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about the principles of a portfolio. We talked earlier in the program here about the team principle and the fact that we've got a lot of tools in the toolbox here at Madrona Financial. And also the fact that many of the financial advisors here are also CPAs that, you know, salt is better with pepper. I mean, pancakes are better with syrup. Financial advisors are better with CPAs. You get them both right here at Madrona Financial. If you want a financial advisor who could also talk about taxes and uh, all the other things that go into a portfolio that really only a CPA really understands. You need to be in touch with Madrona Financial to get your complimentary financial review. To get yours, call 844-MADRONA. That's 844-MADRONA. And while you're at it, request your complimentary copy of Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. This is a great book. We have just released it and it is available for you right now at no cost and no obligation. Once again, to get your copy of that, you can call 844-MADRONA or you can go to madronafinancial.com and request your copy of the book from there. You can't build a house with just one tool and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about what causes inflation and what might a portfolio look like right now. And Brian, I wish that people could hear what we talk about during the breaks because I tend to get all wound up there about inflation. We had quite a conversation there. We won't cover it in this segment of the program. But nevertheless, I've noticed uh, on the supermarket shelves, as everybody has with almost everything, inflation is more than 9.1%. That is what they're reporting it to be. And as you said, it goes back to the simple principle of Economics 101. It's supply and demand. So let's get into that a little bit more. What is causing this record high inflation? We haven't seen this, I think, since the early 80s. Right. We haven't seen it since then. There's always different causes and there's always a hundred different input data inputs to anything as complex as inflation. But certainly uh, getting down to basics, uh, Economics 101, supply and demand. The demand for goods and services did not drop post 
COVID. In fact, it increased. The supply of goods and services decreased. So there were less workers available or willing to work, and there was less goods available, supply chain disruptions, different governmental policies that restrict things and so forth. So you put it all together and prices go up. And so what we're seeing, though, is now people are going to adjust their spending habits. That's this one thing we were talking about at break is you were adjusting your own. Yeah, I caused my own little recession by just saying no to the high price of some goods and services that I'm just not going to consume anymore. And before you know it, I think the rest of the country is going to be doing the same thing. That's called recession. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and what's interesting is I've been flying lately and you know, just to Charlotte, in fact, and uh, I had multiple plane cancellations and it was not because of the weather. They tried to say it was the weather, but I'm going, huh, no. four flights out today and one in the middle, the one that I'm on, got canceled and the other two or three are on time. That is not weather. <laughs> I had the same weather as they had. Yeah. <laughs> the one right before mine and the one right after. Right. And they were booked and so I couldn't get on any of them. It was because they didn't have staff. They didn't have pilots and flight attendants. And they finally came out and said that. But that's a problem, too. And and what I'm going to see is, you know, I think a lot of people coming out of COVID, they all, okay, now we're going to do our travel. You know, we had trips booked. We're going to go do all this stuff. We're going to go out and eat. We're going to do all this fun stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, we had a $3,000 budget set aside to do that. And now it's, you know, 10000 or whatever it is to do that same trip. And people are going, no, wait a second. So they're still taking that trip. But I think there's going to be, as airline prices, you know, it used to be you could do a round trip ticket for 350 bucks. And now it's going to be, you know, 1200 bucks for that right. same trip or whatever it's going to, going to end up being. But I think that it's going to ride itself with prices going up. People are start making decisions that they don't want to do that, even ordering out Uber or, or all these, you know, DoorDash. I know the delivery prices have to be going up. The food costs are going way up. Everything's going up. So it used to be you'd, you'd think nothing about, oh, I'll spend 20 bucks and get dinner here. And mm-hmm. now you get it and you go. I just spent $45 to have dinner delivered, and it's not even that good. I know. <laughs> it's, it's cold, and it's not even good. And it took two hours to get it. You know, so now you're going, wait a second. I'm not going to start. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go out as much. I'm not going to fly as much. I'm not going to—I'm going to maybe— uh, cook more at home or whatever, and even though the, those prices are up too, but they're not up commensurate. And so people will change their, their spending habits. They'll change what they do, how they do it. It takes some time. Right now, we're all chasing the limited amount of goods and services, and that's, that's another reason prices are going up, because we as a country haven't really adjusted our spending habits just quite yet. Well, America runs on wheels, and anything that is delivered on wheels usually takes some sort of fuel to get there, and that is a big cause for these prices to be so high. I mean, that box of uh, tissues in the supermarket had to be delivered on wheels. That was the box of tissues that I didn't want to buy. And because of the increasing price of fuel, the price of tissues had to go up uh, 100%. We all know that inflation is somewhat out of control at this point. Are we seeing people adjust their spending habits at this point? I mean, when I'm out driving around, I'm seeing just as many vehicles on the road, even with high gas prices. That's what I was just saying. I don't think we have adjusted our spending habits. I think what will happen is, and maybe this is, you know, conspiracy theory person here. I'm not. But, you know, part of government's role, I guess, I know the tax code's role is to adjust what you do. It's to kind of incentivize certain things and penalize other things. So incentivizes you to buy a house to give you an interest rate deduction. Uh, does not incentivize you to rent. Mm-hmm. You don't get a deduction for your rent. So the tax code would be very slim if the the government was, wasn't trying to adjust how we live. 
and and certainly regulations, laws, and all that stuff. If if we want to a greener economy, we are supposed to use less gas. Well, one way to get people to use less gas is make sure the price is really high. <laughs> yeah. And so I, when they say, oh, we're going to try and get prices low, I'm not sure. I believe that personally. I don't think that people in charge necessarily want lower prices for the reason, other than get elected, but uh, for the reason that, you know, if it's, if it's persistently high, people will cut back. You know, most people cannot afford a new electric car, not that you can get them, because, mm-hmm. you know, I still don't have all the, right. you know, the supply of those even. But even if you could afford that, uh, most people cannot, and they're just going to drive less. Like you just said, you're going to walk to work instead of drive. And, and I think it will, you know, eventually people will adjust their spending habits so that the demand will decrease. When demand decreases, and prices might go down at that point. But I, I don't see anything else happening to get us there. Yeah, I notice in other countries, Europe, Asia, I mean, more people are riding little scooters and motorcycles over there, and they're also riding bicycles. And I think it's because gasoline there historically has been very, very high. I don't know that this country is ready to go that far, but it looks like that we might have to. Well, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, European gas prices have been high forever relative to the United States. And guess what? The United States, well, of course, we're spread out more and we have to drive very often. But even in the cities, I've done a bike and barge trip in Holland and virtually everybody rides a bike there. 80-year-old people riding around on their bicycles to go to the grocery store. Uh, it's just, you know, they just got used to not doing it that way. And, and maybe that's the vision for uh, you know, Americans who are all going to be riding around on bicycles <laughs> or something. That, yeah, I think I would invest in some bicycle stock or something like that. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about what causes inflation and what should a portfolio look like right now. Brian, we've talked about inflation. Let's talk about how a portfolio would uh, change during these inflationary times. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about on this is a lot of people are sitting on cash which has been great in this market because, you know, when the market's dropping, you're in cash. Uh, that's a win. You're not keeping up with inflation, though, of course, but at least you're not losing to market movements. We talked about bonds already and how it's tough to make a case for them. And CDs, although the rates are finally starting to go up, they still lag what other safe investments can do in the annuity space. And so I, I guess I'll kind of title this sleepy money, money that isn't really doing what you want it to do, right. uh, certainly cannot keep up with inflation. It's not easy when it's as high as it is right now, but at least if you do have a lot of money sitting around that's not doing anything, money you haven't touched for a long time, whether it's, again, in CDs, in bonds, or in cash, there are uh, alternatives that you might want to look into in the fixed indexed annuity space that can offer a percentage of the gain of the S&P 500 and never offer a loss, uh, protect against all losses, or that offer a ceiling. Uh, 100% of the S&P 500 up to a cap, we call it a ceiling. When times are good, you you get the ceiling. Uh, When times are bad, you get the floor. The floor is zero. So you can't lose any money. So these are investments that, although they aren't designed to beat 9% inflation, they can be designed to do much better than wherever you're in right now. So we're going to call that sleepy money. If you're in, again, cash, CDs, money markets, bonds, come see us to talk about, at least get an illustration of what that could look like to improve that. I also will term another one, sleepy real estate. Mm. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people, I look at their returns and talk to them and and I go, well, you know, you've got this rental here and your cash flow on it's, you know, one or two percent is all. And they go, yeah, I haven't raised the rent in 10 years. I have a good tenant, but I'm really getting tired of being a landlord and I have to fix things now. And there's a whole bunch of deferred maintenance and, you know, 
on and on and on. Well, we have the Delaware Statutory Trust discussion. Or if they have uh, raw land and all they're doing is paying property taxes, I'm like, oh, that's really sleepy money. In fact, that's negative sleep because it's actually producing no rental income and it's mm-hmm. taking money out. Is that what you want it to do? Is that what you want? And people are like, well, no, I'd like to get something for it. Okay, and then we had the DST discussion about that. So we can turn sleepy real estate into something more productive and tax efficient. It provides cash flow and potential appreciation and get you out of the landlord business and, and deferred maintenance business. Or we can provide solutions with sleepy money, helping uh, take a look at uh, fixed index annuities. Yeah, so uh, I call them lazy dollars and lazy real estate. you got to wake those things up and get them to pull their own weight. Brian, speaking of real estate, I mean, people read that the rental prices have gone up, I mean, 20, 30% in most parts of the country. And as you said, when you get a little bit older, you don't want to be an active landlord. If you do not want to be an active landlord, but you want to take advantage of these rising rent rates all over the country, are there still ways that you can do that and, and be a passive real estate investor? Yeah, and, and I did want to talk a little bit, a uh, little deep dive on real estate here, because a lot of people, I've had people come to me lately and say, boy, we better get out of our real estate. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, I read that real estate's dropping. I'm like, well, okay. Yeah, mortgage rates are up. And if you're selling your house, instead of having 30 offers, maybe you only have three. And instead of it being 200000 over asking, it might be at asking, which is where it should have been in the first place, probably. But uh, we were in a goofy time over the last year and a half or so. But we're getting back to normal. And to say real estate, that is too broad. That is way too broad. There's all these different categories of real estate, and some are doing very well in an inflationary environment. And so that's where we have to differentiate. So one of the things I'm educating clients on is the different kinds of real estate, how they react differently in inflation. The real estate that's doing the best, the types of real estate that do the best are the ones with the shortest term leases. When I say short term leases, it would be rental housing. It would be multifamily apartments, self-storage, because people have usually have one year leases uh, and they're transient. They move and they're replaced by new ones. So somebody moves out of the rental house in Bellevue or, or the, let's say the apartment building in Bellevue and they were paying $2,500 a month in rent. The new people moving in might be paying 3500 a month. And so that's how they can get those up. As opposed to longer-term leases, let's say it's industrial parks or uh, net lease properties, maybe it's a 10-year, 15-year lease. Those, they can't raise the rent. So they haven't been going up as much in value in an inflationary environment. So if we have an inflationary environment and you're in investments like, again, multifamily self-storage or rental houses, you're probably seeing some really nice appreciation because rents are going up, so the income's going up, but the outflow is fixed because the fixed rate mortgage is assigned to these uh, private non-traded REITs or Delaware statutory trusts. So I'm really seeing a lot of movement uh, in the positive direction for my investors in in most of the uh, short-term real estate ventures that they're in. And Brian, when we talked about Delaware Statutory Trust, we talked about, uh, you know, selling investment real estate here in the Seattle area and putting that money into residential real estate, or as you said, storage units, things like that in other parts of the country. And one of the states that you used to mention was Florida often. And ironically enough, Florida is one of those states that has seen the biggest increase in the price of rent. So that is the Delaware Statutory Trust. If you have investment real estate that you do not think 
think that you want to actively manage anymore, but you don't want to get out of the real estate business, again, there's the Delaware Statutory Trust, and you should contact us here at Madrona Financial to find out more about that. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. You know, taxes are such a big part of your investment plan. And wouldn't it be nice if you were sitting on the beach, let's say five years from now, and you see tax rates have gone up, but you have a plan that has helped to mitigate those tax rates. You're glad that you contacted Madrona Financial and CPAs. To find out more about what you can do about tax minimization with the CPAs and advisors at Madrona Financial, give us a call here for a complimentary no-cost, no-obligation financial review at 844-MADRONA. That's 844-MADRONA. Or you can go online and request it at madronafinancial.com. And while you're at it, request our new book, The Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. And again, you can get it by calling 844-MADRONA or logging on to madronafinancial.com and requesting it from there. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're we'll talking about how to plan your wealth so the odds are in your favor. And Brian, during the break, we were talking about people who are gamblers. They go to Vegas and they don't realize that the odds are stacked in the house's favor there. And I've heard people say, well, the stock market, it's all gambling and so forth. But it, that's not the way it is with the stock market. The odds are not stacked for the stock market. You can do some things to stack them in your favor. And I would imagine that you can do the same thing with your financial financial portfolio. Yeah, and that's why the planning is so important. And and starting with, as we started out this show, talking about lifestyle planning, kind of figure out what your life you want it to be, what you want it to look like, how finances play into that, cash flow, security, liquidity, growth of assets, legacy assets, taxes, tax savings, all these different things. And so they all go together. And you know, we also have to factor in things like healthcare costs and potential long-term care, gifting to charities. I mentioned legacy assets, uh, leaving money to your spouse or heirs, making sure your spouse is okay if something happens to you. Inflation, we got to factor in that. We got to factor in spending in your retirement years, how that can change, how it might be higher in the 60s than it is in your 70s, perhaps, or vice versa. There's a lot that goes into a proper financial plan. So just uh, doing the, again, I, I pick on the typical, you know, whatever, you can, a strip mall advisor that might, you might go in there and they'll say, oh, I'll put you in a 60-40 stock bond split. You take 4% out a year and you'll be fine. Well, until you're not. So I, I saw this interesting graph uh, at my conference uh, recently uh, about sequence of return risk. We've talked about that on the show before. And basically, I'll, I'll try and summarize it. Uh, two couples with a million dollars, each was taking 50000 They took a 5% draw, 50000 a year. One of those lasted just 15 years before they ran out of money, and the other lasted 30 years. So, okay, what was the difference between the two? The only difference was they took four rates of return. I think the, the first year was about 20, 22, the second year, nine, the third year, seven, and the fourth year, minus 16. And so the one that had that, and then they repeated that every year, every year, they just repeated that cycle. And uh, that's the one that lasted 30 years. Then they took that cycle and they reversed the order. So the first year was the minus 16, and then it was the 7 and the 9 and the 23 or whatever it was. They just tweaked it. The same four returns over and over and over, different order, where the order was the negative in the first year. That one lasted 15 years less. Cut it in half. 
50000 a year for 15 years because of the order of four years. That's all it took. So we cannot rely on rules like, the, oh, if I take 4% out, I'll be fine. No, you won't. If the sequence of return isn't proper, is negative in the early years like it is in 2022, you could really be uh, setting yourself up for a big problem if you don't have the other tools in your toolbox. So, Brian, we talked about that in a past show about Mr. Brown and Mr. Green there with a sequence of return risks. And it occurs to me that we can't control what the market is going to do. So considering that fact, how can we prevent ourselves from being Mr. Brown who ran out of money in 13 years? Yeah. And so uh, one of the things there is, is that's the growth part of the portfolio. We talked earlier on the show of not taking money out of that for a period of time. Uh, that that needs time to bake it. You know, if, if you're in the market 10 years, you're probably doing quite well. So if you plan on leaving it there for a period of time, you'll probably be just fine. So that means we have to take our money from somewhere else. So where else can we get money? Well, we can get money from Social Security. We can get money from pensions, fixed index annuities, uh, whether they're flat or my preference would be increasing cash flow for life. We can get it from fixed index universal life policies where we borrow against our own death proceeds. We can get it through uh, private non-traded REITs where we can get the cash flow from that. We can get it from Delaware Statutory Trust or from your active real estate that you manage as a landlord. There's a lot of places where we can get cash flow in retirement so that we don't have to rely on the market timing and be pulling money out when the markets are down. And so that's, I think that's a, one of the big keys that a lot of people miss when they're doing their financial planning. As I mentioned earlier, our financial plans integrate a lot of different uh, aspects and variables. But then once you have all those variables to actually uh, produce investment uh, recommendations, we have to be very, very cognizant that every investment does different things. It's, it's there for a different purpose. And one of the things we want to prevent is a disaster from simply drawing on stock market when markets are down and you have a bad sequence of return. So that's the key there is not depending upon uh, the market too much for the money that you need to live on. That is a key to combating sequence of return risk is to have other places in your portfolio that you can pull money from to live on. Brian, when you build a plan, do you build in a COLA or cost of living adjustment and has that changed recently? We absolutely do. We have up the uh, percentage due to recent inflation. We typically try and take a pretty conservative view on the future. And so in our plans, we will estimate the return on, say, stock market investments at 1% higher than whatever we use for uh, inflation, increasing the costs of, of what you're spending your money on. And so we have the, both those built into our plans to uh, address that because a plan looks great if you leave out in Inflation. Most anybody's plan, they can put on an Excel spreadsheet or do something free download online or get some app. And it'll look great if you, if you don't put in inflation. But when you start putting in inflation and you go, wait a second, my money's worth half as much in X number of years. Uh, I better account for that. And that's a very big deal. And one of the things about that is I talk about annuities on this show. There's a lot of people that will sell you an annuity in the market. And they'll be very aggressive sometimes trying to sell those uh, lifetime cash flow annuities. Be very careful about buying one that doesn't have an inflationary uh, factor in it that's going to be flat. Because um, I'm here to tell you, uh, with normal inflation, your money's going to 
be worth half as much down the road here during your lifetime in most cases or less. And so if you have that, you're kind of setting yourself up for a fall. So if you're just talking to somebody who's just pushing annuity, 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 just just don't do it. Just walk away from that one because <laughs> come see us. We'll, we'll talk about annuities, which ones fit or don't fit. Maybe you don't need annuities. We will tell you that. Maybe you don't need Delaware Statutory Trusts or Structured Notes or Private Non-Trader REITs or even the stock market. Maybe you don't need us at all. We will tell you that if that's the case. But if you're not talking to somebody that, that has access to all that stuff, you're probably being uh, poorly served. And that's a, a good point that you brought up there, Brian, is that annuities, and I hear people talk about them all the time, is that they sometimes market them as the panacea for everything. It's going to protect you against everything, but annuities are not right for every person. And again, that's something that you do here at Madrona Financial. When you sit down with a client, they bring up something. The first thing that you do is tell them maybe the negatives or why they may not want to get involved with such an investment. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking about that as I was coaching advisors because they're used to getting up. Oh, let me tell you, everything is great about it and why everything else stinks. Like that is no way to talk to somebody. That's very disrespectful, I think, in, in my opinion. That's that's manipulative. And I don't believe that financial advisors should be in the profession of manipulation. And unfortunately, I'm here to say I am a financial advisor that many people in my industry, that is their primary sales technique is manipulation. And they're trying to get you to do something that pays them. It's something they sell. They want to talk you into it. I joked about it. I was truthful. I was up on stage and I said, look, most of my meetings, I'll start out and let me spend the next 10 minutes trying to talk you out of an annuity or talk you out of a DST or talk you out of even working with us. And let me tell you all the reasons why it wouldn't work for you. And we go into the detriments because everything has detriments. And so I think people really appreciate the respect that they're getting by not being manipulated to a fault where I'm actually leading with. You know, my advisors will often lead and usually lead with what the detriments are so we can make sure we work through that. And the DST, well, you don't get to be a landlord. I don't want to be. Okay. They're illiquid. Uh, oh, I don't need the liquidity right away. Oh, okay. Uh, you got to keep doing 1031s until you pass away and get a step up in basis. Oh, that's okay with me. I like being a real estate. Okay. Well, you know, we'll go through the detriments and go, all right, none of them apply to you. Now we can talk about the benefits. And that's how we like to approach this very non-manipulative way of doing it. I think it's very respectful. It's the way people should be treated. And unfortunately, my industry is not very good at that. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs. The theme of our show today, how to build a portfolio for retirement while combating inflation. We've talked about what a retirement portfolio may look like, the principles of a portfolio, what causes inflation, what should a portfolio look like right now, and planning your wealth so that the odds are in your favor. If you joined us late in the program here, you missed any part of it. Once again, remember, we are a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast, search Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. You'll see more than 130 different podcast right there, including this particular show. And our uh, radio shows are also on our website at madronafinancial.com. That is madronafinancial.com. And don't forget, Brian, we've got this new book here, Seven Steps for a Successful Retirement. You've got it in your hands right there. It is a great little book. It is a great read. It's very, very easy. A lot of very useful information in there about your financial roots. Highly encourage you to grab a copy of this book. You can do that by calling 844-MADRONA and request your complimentary copy, or you can go to madronafinancial.com and request it there. You can also take your rooted wealth analysis at madronafinancial.com and check how deep your financial roots are. Well, Ryan, out of time for this week. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank our listeners for joining us as well, too. For Brian Evans, 
I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency, and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including assets allocation or diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.